So hi everyone, welcome to Architecture in the Den uh, with me Lisa Rains, um, founder of Pride Road, the architectural practice franchise. And um, we are delighted to welcome Flora today. And we're gonna be talking about the value of an architect. So um, Flora, would you like to introduce yourself? Okay, uh, Lisa, well, first of all, thank you very much for having me here on your, um, your uh, exciting channel. Um, so I'm Flora Samuel, I'm Professor of Architecture in the Built Environment at the University of Reading. And um, I was the first RIBA Vice President for Innovation and Research. Um, uh, and I wrote a book called Why Architects Matter, and I'm really interested in how architects demonstrate their value, how they get their message across, and how we can together um, improve the quality of the built environment. Thank you very much. So um, what is, I think our opening question is, what is the value of an architect in the domestic setting? Yeah, well, um, I think, well, it's interesting because I did a research project on why people didn't employ architects to do their house extensions and things like that. And uh, through seeing the kind of things that they got, you've started seeing what a lot of value architects actually add yeah. in terms of uh, in, not least just the use of space. Mm. Um, uh, and what I think is the real value of architects are in, in, in the domestic setting is, is really about getting under the skin of what clients want, um, people's lifestyles, um, the, you know, the way that their, the, 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 their household operates, their family, and sometimes even saying, well, actually, you know, you don't need a new building or actually maybe you just need to move some stuff around. Um, so I think that architects are very, oh, I think going forward, as a lot more of the architectural process is going to be automated, actually, and delivered by apps and stuff, I think what's going to be left behind is this experience of working with very capable, interesting, uh, sensitive individuals who have a real ability to kind of get under the skin of what you need with space. So I think um, uh, domestic architecture, in a way, has a kind of uh, uh, almost like therapeutic. It's almost like offering a service or a transformation when it's done well. Um, so, and as well, of course, architects are the most highly trained people in sustainability and, and delivering um, good value spaces. So there's a lot of uh, value to be offered in that side of things. So it's, it's multiple, really. I think architects can save you money. I think they can um, give you a good time, have fun. You know, it can be a social thing. Uh, and, I, and, and they can, and, and it's good for the environment as well. I mean, what I found a lot with the people I was uh, did the research project on is that people would work with um, they do any they thought architects cost a bomb and they would just do anything rather than work with an architect. They work with a, a, a bridge and motorway bridge engineer in one case designing their house, and all that happened was a kind of catastrophe. Um, so yeah, I think architects can add so much, but unfortunately, programs like uh, Grand Designs don't always make that very clear. Mm, yeah, I, I find that that quite a lot. And and I, one thing that I that we do at Pride Road is I believe I actually believe it's immoral to put people in negative equity. Mm. So one of the first questions that we ask is, "What's the value of your house?" 
um, you know, what, how much did you pay for the house? What's the current value of the house? What's your budget? And if someone wants to spend a hundred thousand pounds on the house and they're only going to realize, you know, a 50,000 increase, I'm like, it, don't do it. Unless people have got money to throw away. Yeah. Which that was kind of the sector of the market that I'm in, which is kind of like the just home, normal homeowners, you know, their house is their pr principal investment. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think, um, you know, you're gambling away people's futures and kids' futures if you, you know, if you overspend. Absolutely. So I had a student doing a dissertation recently on minimalism, this whole Marie Kondo decluttering and, you know, getting rid of stuff. And, um, and she was sort of arguing that uh, the logical conclusion from this really should be that... Uh, architects should be encouraging people to build less and actually to, to, to um, take on board more sort of uh, decluttered and minimal lifestyles. But the funny thing was when she interviewed a bunch of domestic architects, they were all just trying to get people to build <laughs> as big as possible because <laughs> they obviously had their fee in mind or something, but there was yeah. never any question of talking about actually maybe the decent thing is to do less. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I'll turn projects down. Mm. I'll, I'll tell people it's not worth doing. Um, and I suppose the way that we work with our um, sort of concept design workshop, it's a really low cost investment. It's £300 plus that. And I think that's pretty disposable in, you know, when you're looking at the, the cost of a project. You know, yeah. I think someone can afford to spend £300 to, to work out whether they're going to make this huge life decision or not. Yeah, well, it comes back to this thing like, why will people spend so much on their gadgets and gizmos and, and so little on their homes? Mm. And also be prepared for their houses to be so primitive compared, compared to their homes. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting question. Mm. Oh, so... We've had a question. Yeah. Uh, hi, Flora. I'm a student at Northumbria and I'm currently writing a dissertation on architecture and social value. Your book has been invaluable. What ways do you think architects can deliver social value in projects not local to their business? Yeah, well, that's a good point because one of the big deals of social value is lo being local and using local products and local services and local materials. Um, so yeah, we spent a lot of time trying to define what social value of architecture is. And you can look at the social value toolkit on the ROBA website. Um, and we argue that social value design is around how you, um, your design can help people to connect with each other. You can look out the window and see your neighbor across the way, you can wave, you can sit on your doorstep and let your kid play out. Um, uh, so many things about connecting people. Architecture can add social value in um, offering exercise opportunities, place green space, um, active lifestyles, even just going upstairs sometimes is a good thing. Find uh, It can offer uh, places for old people to trundle out to, to do a bit of gardening, whatever. I mean, architecture can do those things. Positive emotions, connect people with nature. Every, you know how, everyone knows how much um, 
uh, nature and greenery, uh, cheer the spirit, sunlight, all these sorts of things. So they're uh, health and well-being is issues. And then there's other ones around participation, you know, getting rolling your sleeves up and being part of the design process. You learn so much. You develop your own sense of identity, who you are, uh, where you want to go. I think there's a lot in that. And then there's other dimension. There's um, the Quality of Life Foundation is just about to publish a really amazing framework for social value and uh, working with Urbed. And, and what I love one particular dimension in there is wonder that mm -hmm. architecture can actually you know, enable you to connect with the wonder of the world. And I think that's beautiful. Mm. That's lovely. I'm just kind of like, <laughs> how, how can we bring that into the domestic setting? Well, you can do well you do that I mean I, I did a lot of thinking about that when I used to write a lot about Le Corbusier and um, it's things like uh, drawing attention to ritual moments you know like um, um, uh, water running and uh, bathing and fireplaces and you know I think there's sort of things around rituals and the elements and stuff like that you can bring mm. in which kind of connect you back to your primitive original self that would be my theory anyway. I think one, one battle I keep on having with clients at the moment is I, do, I kind of design a beautiful space and then they want to put their sink under the window facing out their, their back garden. Now that's fine if you stood at the sink facing out the back garden, but if you're anywhere else in the space or anywhere else in the room, it blocks the view. Yeah. It blocks the, the view of the garden. It um, blocks the view of you keeping an eye on your kids in the garden as well. Yeah. So I spend most of my time trying to get people to drop their windowsills down. Yeah, there's a peculiarly British thing about having your, 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 your kitchen at the back, isn't it? When actually mm. the nicest possible thing is having a dining table. And I know dining, many houses nowadays don't have a dining table. Mm. In fact, some shocking statistic about how many TV meals or dinners are eaten by the nation as a whole. But you know, having a dining table somewhere where you can be near the window and looking out is is got to be good for health, well-being and everything. Mm. So we've had another question come in. So, hi Flora, this is from Anne. Uh, I'm an architect in an SME, often working with developers. We're currently grappling with how we can persuade our developer clients to buy into social value. We sometimes often find the wonder and value of projects are lost between the initial design and the cost of design. Any thoughts on how we could work on this? Oh, oh well, absolutely. That's such a familiar story. And, and I think, for me, my research, it all comes back down to something way up the food chain that we have nothing to do with, which is the value of land. The way land is costed and valued stinks. Um, and, and it just leaves so little space when it comes down to, um, to uh, the design of projects, because all of the sort of uh, fat in the project has been used up on the land value. Um, and then we discover that going down the further down the line, when it gets into, you get, you have, you get your planning permission and then uh, and then well certainly a lot of house builders um, they just want to then value engineer every little bit of joy out the project that ever was because that's not considered to be a material consideration in planning mm. so yeah that is um, 
a, a real issue. And, and I, suppose, I suppose that's why I'm working in this sort of multi-pronged way. I'm trying to demonstrate the value of, um, of, of, of social value of architects, trying to monetize it using kits if you're asked to, and the, or the social value toolkit will give the monetary value. <laughs> but also we've got to look at how buildings are procured and make sure they take on board social value as well as environment and money. And we've got to look at land. Every, the whole system's a bit awry. <laughs> so yeah. You have my sympathies, but I, I tell you that, 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 that everything is changing so fast because the way the government is um, uh, shifted onto social value it, it, it is really happening very fast. We've got the new construction innovation hub uh, tool, which is going to really raise the profile of social value. There's just a whole raft of things that are, it's coming your way. So maybe it's difficult now, but don't despair because I think that soon local authorities will only, you know, sell money to high social value developers who commit to social value. I think real transform it, especially after the pandemic when we, you, all that happens is the risk of bad developments falls back on the, the local authority, doesn't it? So I think, I think everything is changing. So uh, fight the good fight and um, keep gathering your evidence about why it's important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, here's hoping, I agree. Um, but I, 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 I've, you know, I'm on a lot of these bodies um, around this zone and I, I'm firmly convinced it's changing. In Wales, wherever there's the Future Generation Act, that it's, it's already changing big time because there's such a big commitment to um, yeah, the well-being of future generations and the whole of planning law has cascaded in that direction. So what, what, what's starting to change there? Well, um, the, a few years ago, they brought in the Future Generations Act, which suggests that you've got to think of the future generations. You know, at the moment, the way we build, we're mm. like borrowing on the, on the future, on our future, the lives and well-being of our kids, aren't we? And our um, descendants. Um, but they've put a whole... Um, all of their entire planning policy now is around placemaking and future generations. Everything has to cascade in under that. Unfortunately, in Wales, they don't have much money to do anything, do any of their high uh, aspirations. But you're starting to see it happening in developments. You know, they just aren't allowed to build bad developments in bad places anymore. And actually, um, housing uh, developments have to um, not just not do damage to the environment they have to make the environment better so um it's quite a hopeful scene in wales around this I, yeah I, I am hopeful here's hoping i am hopeful <laughs> so that sounds positive and um, we've had a message from uh john uh, most people think they're employing an architect when they use an architectural designer technician technologist mm -hmm. consultant even the Hackett inquiry fell for that once or twice. Yeah. That cannot be changed by architects on an individual basis. People are told that we cost a lot more by those who think they compete with us in order to get work. I even worked with for one such person who charged more than an architect using exactly. that architects charge more. Well, that was the shocker. I mean, so I've discovered that plan drawers charge more than architects. It's mm -hmm. insane. And I have got a little pet project of going around taking photographs of white vans saying architectural design on the side. Oh, have you? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm completely with you on that. And um, I think the RIBA could be doing more, to be honest. Um, but it is, it's the, the title is the only thing that's protected. 
and not service but it's up to us to make it absolutely shiningly obvious why our architects do it so much better i know when i was on the council at the RIBA, the one motion that I managed to push forward was changing some of the RIBA's marketing spend. Mm. So it wasn't just going on kind of um, selling to profession professionals, but actually pitching the um, the the message to consumers and client and um, kind of lay people clients. Mm. And we've seen a little bit of it come through and I've sort of, sort of like saw the uh, marketing campaigns, but it's so little. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, again, I come back to this project I did on house extensions and it's just, it was the damage done by grand designs. Nothing ever that comes through that good is ever attributed to the architect, but only mm. the overspends and the tantrums and things, they all come back to the architect, yeah. which is so unfair. Yeah. And the the other thing about grand designs is people think that they could build a house in an hour. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Well, the time they don't, the timelines don't translate between TV and reality. Yeah, yeah. People just don't notice that, oh, she's had another child in that (laughs) process. Yeah. I think a lot, I mean, a lot of being, well, well, I started off as a small sole practitioner, as a a woman on my own with babies. And, um, well, I think it was very hard then because a lot of people wanted to do stuff on the black market for a start. I hope things Mm. have got better now. Um, uh, But uh, it's a very, it's a very tough, tough world. And I think I, find, I kept finding that you rock up to someone's house and try and be sensitive about what they wanted. And actually they wanted you to be kind of prima donna-ish and say, I have a vision of you in aluminium or something like that. <laughs> but they weren't getting their money's worth if you were just like sort of, um, you know, just checking into how they were and how they might be in the future. Yeah. So I'm a hats off, hats off to you folk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I love her. Um, I love working in the domestic sector. I've been doing it for 10 years. And it was, you know, when I went into to it, everyone warned me. They were like, you know, don't do it. You know, domestic clients are really litigious. They're a pain. You know, it, it always ends up being really emotive. It's rubbish. I mean, I, I, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy the... Um, the interaction between clients there's a little bit of marriage counseling that goes on (laughs) Um, i like you did say something before about the interaction being fun and joyous and i do and and it is you know we have a laugh yeah we get to know i mean i've got a kind of you know we we've got a system you know um uh, I've got a, a very extensive briefing process that's there to ask those hard questions, you know, like, do you own your house? Mm, mm. And um, does anyone else live with you? Mm. You know, and, you know, how do people live? Where do their parents live? Where do their family live? Are they going to come and stay with you for six months out of the year? And so all of a sudden, what seemed a lavish design is very cramped. Mm. There's only one bathroom or something. So, um, 
Well, I mean, I really did on my research project about extensions. It was space. It was just architects did that so much better. I mean, you just mm. these ridiculous, oversized, ugly extensions you see on houses that the, you know, the lateral light is destroyed. And actually anyone buying the house would have to knock down that hideous extension. All done by plan drawers, you know. Mm. Mm. But that's not to say all architects are good either. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, so we've had another question in. Um, do you think there's an, a danger of over legislation in the public sector becoming an obstacle to actually achieving social value? Well, put it this way, under legislation has been a complete disaster. Mm. Um, um, you know, it's we take we took away the code for sustainable homes, for example, mm. um, and and therefore just then sustainability in architecture was kind of stopped. Um, I don't know. Look at countries which are really good. Look at Denmark. Look at Holland. Look at the Netherlands. They legislate their socks off. They're legislating how you use the one meter of space outside your front door. You know, um, so I, I don't buy it that legislation. Um, uh, that you know that that, that will somehow limit things. I, I think that legislation makes things clear and puts everybody on an even playing field. Um, yeah, because certainly deregulation really doesn't help at all. Mm, mm. So changing the subject back to, I mean, you said at the start that you thought that um, a lot of design or architecture is going to be done by apps mm. so yeah talk to that a bit well i do i mean certainly when i began as an architect there was an awful lot of, of being an architect that's an extremely um tedious and repetitive um and uh can you know readily be done by apps actually um and as we get into building information modeling and those sorts of things i think um a lot more buildings that will be will be designed almost automatically but i don't domestic projects won't because they're always dealing with new and complicated and historic and conservation sort of issues mm. um but i think a lot of generic architecture will be done by the, uh, automatically lawyers are doing that um there's a whole host of services that are now being delivered by apps um, but I think that will make space for a new kind of role, which is around, uh, well, the people who write those apps for a start, um, people who write design codes. So say planning is going to go design code orientated. They've just got a big consultation out from the government on the new national design code for England. Say we go in that direction. You just have to produce buildings that fit into the code. You've got custom build, you've got IKEA flat back, you've got packed built housing. There's going to be a lot that's uh done in that way but what will be left will be the experience of working with people and the, and the people who hold your hand through the process and i think so i do think that the uh, architecture will change a lot just inevitably but i just can't see that uh domestic architecture self-build working with local materials working with local craftspeople that's ever going to change mm -hmm. so talk me through so what are these apps going to do well, um, so uh, you know, they'll have they'll have codes put into them about um, the size of a bedroom, amount of light, um, standard sort of things. I mean, if you think about the English, the terrace house is is a very 
standard thing, isn't it? It's extremely standard. Um, so I think that the, it, when it comes down to like flat layouts and whatnot, that, that's that's pretty standard stuff, you know. <laughs> uh, there's an awful lot of code uh, kind of um, books that tell you exactly how to do it. Um, so I think that those those sort of things and standard details, uh, and this is probably at the lower end of things, but you know we're in a situation where you can go out and buy an, a building, all the working drawings of a building on the web, on the internet, mm -hmm. you know, just, I want an opera house, you know, it could be in China, it could be Australia, it could be anywhere. You can buy buildings, you know, this is just an inevitability that there will be more automation for the more um, humdrum aspects of things. Mm. Um, uh, but I, as I say, I do believe that that will leave um, the, I mean, I don't know about you, but there's an awful lot of highly skilled people going into architecture, ending up doing extremely banal jobs, you know, banal, repetitive things, you know, the, uh, the famous door schedule, whatever. Mm. Um, you know, those things can be automated and they will be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of... Um... With Pride Road, um, we, we're encouraging people to come and sort of buy into a franchise. And a lot of the time, you know, kind of we, we hear from people who are, have given up uh, working as an architect, um, you know, and gone into work in a library or teaching assistant or something like that, just because they can't marry the uh, the job with with life um whereas actually at pride red we've systemized a lot of the mundane stuff mm. but that's not drawing or detailing or anything like that we've just we've we've uh, systemized the admin mm. and and the way that we deliver stuff to clients so we're not reinventing the wheel we're kind of saving saving time um and but just quite a lot of practices have standard details or standard they have a materials library mm. and they always do their wall details or this detail or that the same way mm. and those are little bits of automation that could be achieved mm. so i think it is about being clever about how mm. you work but then leaving the, the time or your time to add that value spend you know spend spend your time wisely yes exactly spend your, your time, time is valuable <laughs> exactly exactly and 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 to and to be enjoyable and and so that yes. the, the client feels they've really got you know that something they've been through something from which they've really learned yes and if you spend time doing the bits you enjoy exactly. then it works for everyone well, that sounds like a really nice nice place to end this chat excellent lisa <laughs> <laughs> so um thanks flora for for coming on um lovely to have you lovely to talk to you again um so we'll be uh uploading this onto our youtube channel so pride road youtube and um on as a podcast so that's on spotify or your speaker speaker phone not speaker phone what the speaker device uh so um you can hear from our other speakers in the series um look for architecture in the den um and um yeah just watch out for for more events we're running this quite regularly sort of every, every monday um and uh so subscribe download share 
And if anyone's on Clubhouse, come and find me. Uh, come and follow me, Lisa Rains. I'm running two rooms. Uh, Mondays at eight o'clock, I've got Constructive Together. So that's about construction networking, open to architects, students, people in the construction industry. And I've also got a second room, uh, which is Tuesday at 10 o'clock, talking about the business of architecture. So more specific there. So thanks everyone for, for joining and thanks Flora for coming on. Thank you. Thanks everyone.